We are back at it. Welcome back to another edition of the Pistols Firing Podcast. I'm Carson Cunningham, joined as always by Kyle Porter. Kyle, disappointing day in Waco. OSU loses to Baylor. They snatched defeat from the jaws of victory. You were there. Uh, was it as disappointing in person as it was watching on TV? Yeah, it was because it, it sort of felt like the entire afternoon, and maybe I shouldn't feel like this just because of Oklahoma State's history in college football, but it, it, it felt like they were in control. I mean, they, they had scored on their three final or on uh, three straight drives offensively. Uh, it just it felt like one of those games where Baylor is just kind of kind of run out of time, and you know Oklahoma State gets within one play of basically ending it, uh, and they couldn't get it done. And then from there, I mean, I don't know if this came across on TV. Charlie Brewer was like a seven levels upgrade from what Baylor was doing at quarterback b- before he went in. Like I, I don't I don't get why they didn't start him. I don't either. Like he was out. Or he wasn't. At, he was listed as available before the game with after going through concussion protocol. So if he's available, don't you start him? I mean, they. It seemed like he wasn't available, and they th- said, "Well, we got a chance to win this game. Charlie, get in there." You know, that's what it seemed like to me, because he was light years better than the. I can't remember the guy's name that started. He was awful. Jalen McClendon, I think, was his name. But yeah. Yeah, I mean Brewer comes in and they and Baylor scores on on three drives in a row and um you know it, it it's I, I wrote about this on Monday but it, it's hard because you look at you look at Oklahoma State's defense and they actually statistically were were a little bit better against Baylor than they were against Texas but because of the block punt touchdown because of all the penalties uh, and because they didn't get that fourth down on offense at the end uh, it it looked it looked bad for him. And and again, like they're playing a worse team. I get that. They're playing Baylor's not as good as Texas, I don't think. I don't know. I don't know how good Texas is, to be honest. But um I don't know. It was just it's just an all around lousy performance from a team that is just not that good. Well, and over the years when Oklahoma State has won, you know, close games, we always say good teams find a way to win. Well, the same is true for bad teams. Bad teams find a way to lose, and that's exactly what happened against Baylor. It was a joint effort. I mean, obviously the defense, the most they had most of the penalty yardage. I think it was 133 yards on 12 penalties, which is just like Kyle, like Alabama will have a hard time winning a game with 12 penalties for 133 yards. Yeah. Let alone a team of OSU's quality this year, which is not good. I mean, but the most, the two most troubling things to me, Kyle, are the fact that Oklahoma State cannot stop the run. I mean, K State just murdered them on the ground. Baylor had like 244 yards. So, I mean, we'll talk about Bedlam here in a minute. But Oklahoma should be able to just run right through them. So that that's the main problem going on right now is they cannot stop the run to save their lives. And honestly, Kyle, like, look, this is this is people are going to get mad about this, but I really don't care. Baylor has the worst defense in the league. Maybe maybe the 1B to, to OSU's 1A on the worst. Um, you, can't, you can't score 31 points on Baylor. You have yeah. to score 50. Mm-hmm. I mean, Taylor Cornelius missed how many deep throws that could have sealed the game? I mean, he had 287 yards and a touchdown against Baylor. You should light them on fire. I know it was windy. I get that. But I'm just sorry. The offense is not... It, the skill talent they have, and, and maybe this is a Mike Yersich problem, because that first half was dreadful mm-hmm. from a, from a creativity standpoint. From the fact from the fact Cornelius just cannot hit a deep throw, barring Tylen Wallace scaling two guys. 
<laughs> so, like, we can talk about the defense being bad, and it is. It's been bad for a long time. That's not changing. The defensive coordinator has changed. They're just as bad as they were last year. Just, the quarterback, to me, has to go win the game, which he played very well in the second half down the stretch. I'm not taking that away from him. I just I felt like there were p- points in that game where they could have sealed it, and they just constantly missed those opportunities. Yeah, they just they don't they don't perform as there are times when they perform as well as the 17 team, the 16 team, but their consistency is just not there. They went, uh, what is that? Five, six drives in the middle of the game without a touchdown. And they only got three points out of those six drives. They, they uh, missed two field goals. They made one of the, I mean, it's just, you, you can't have these elongated stretches. And we saw this, we've seen this all year, right? Like we saw pretty much the whole game against Kansas state. We saw it in the second half against tech and we saw it honestly, Carson. And this is what I go back to that. Like we saw it in the second half against Texas. They weren't that good in the second half against Texas, at least offensively. And yet because of the outcome, everybody's like, Oh, Oklahoma state might be good again. And it's like, well, the games that they played against Baylor and Texas, they're not, they're not that different. You know, from from a statistical perspective, I realized that they got out in front against Texas and they were kind of being conservative and everything. But they just have these long, like three, four, five drive periods where they're not scoring touchdowns. And you just you can't do that in the Big 12. Yeah. And during those stretches, I feel like the defense has played well enough to get them the ball back. They just haven't been able to pair that together. And again, I mean, Cornelius had a 66 QBR. That's that's terrible. And if you want to tell me it's windy, okay. It was it was gale force winds in Lubbock where I was, and it didn't seem to affect people. So I just, to me, the offense has to go win these games, and they're just not. I mean, I, and again, I'm, I don't mean to give a reprieve to the defense. They were horrible. The penalties killed them. They just kept extending Baylor drives. AJ Green, who I think has played well at times this year, I thought he played really well against Texas. I think he gets some he gets the short end of the stick on some flags, but he's also the most penalized one of the most penalized players in the entire country. He just has to be. He just the penalties absolutely killed him in this game. So I don't I don't mean to make it about Cornelius, but just to me there were periods in that game where specifically to Tyron where he was wide open and he just could not get him the ball. And it just one of those throws gives him enough breathing room I feel like to go ahead and win the game. And that's before we get it that's even before we get to the late game situation where he went for it on on fourth down, what did you make of the, the that last series? What was what was Tylen's QBR, by the way? One hundred, one for one. <laughs> Kyler, Kyler Murray has like a two hundred and thirteen QBR, <laughs> by the way. Uh, <clears throat> I thought I thought they should have done what they did. I thought they should have should have gone for it, and <clears throat> just based on where they were on the field, they only had three yards to pick up. Punny in there gets you like. I don't know, 16 yards, okay. Is that, I mean, unless you pin them inside the 20, which, I mean, I don't really blame Mike Gundy for not trusting his special teams to do something impressive right now. Uh, Now, a lot of that, I think, is on him, and I think he would probably say that. But I I just feel like you you can't put the ball in the hands of your special teams and then turn it over to... Uh, your defense, which hadn't stopped Baylor for basically the last two or three drives, and and uh, I I thought I thought they should have gone for it. I thought it was funny, Carson. That remember earlier in the year, after I think it was the second game, 
Gundy said, "I'm never. I, I, I don't ever want to see Taylor Cornelius roll out to the right and throw a to try to throw a pass again." Yeah. And, and in one of the biggest moments of the season, they roll him out to the right, and I think he was looking for Jelani. Uh, it actually was a pretty cool looking play, but it it didn't work out very well. And then, obviously, as Gundy said after the game, he's got to throw the ball away. You can't go ten yards the other way and and give Baylor a short field and an opportunity to score. Yeah, I just I didn't like the call. I mean, I put it put it in Tylen's hands, put it in Justice's, put it in Chuba's, put it. You know, I, I that's where I, I come from with all that. And I guess neither of those guys touched the ball in the last you know two plays. So, but again, I, I did think it was the right call. I think you go for it. You, the the distance is negligible. Just mm-hmm. just go in, in, at, in this point in this game specifically. I think you'd rather have it in your offense's hands. How well they played the last, you know, three or four series too. But, so I, but, I didn't, I didn't mind the decision at all. Think about the narratives. If, if they get that first down, right. All of a sudden, Oh, Cornelius, Cornelius protects the ball. He doesn't, he doesn't throw interceptions. That's why Oklahoma state's winning football games right now. Uh, Tylen Wallace. Is he the, is he the, the best receiver since whatever? Like, I just feel like all these narratives, change. you going to eat that corn crow. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, I feel like all <laughs> You gonna eat that corn, Crow? He's the best. I feel like all these narratives change on on singular plays, and I don't. That's may or may not be fair, but that's the perception. And uh, in this sport, a lot of times perception is is the reality. And I, I will say this: in the inter, in the um, the room afterwards, when when Gundy was doing his press conference. Uh, by the way, I went I went uh, Gundy on Gundy. I called I called out his. Um, two of his players by their numbers. I, no, I, you did not. Yeah. What'd you say? Give me the I question. I asked him about um, Colby Peel and, and Malcolm Rodriguez. And I said, coach, two, <laughs> two of your young guys, 31 and 20, looked like they played really well today. One of their better games. Did you notice them more out there than you have before? And uh, <laughs> did, he get a, did he get a twinkle in his eye when you said their numbers? <laughs> no, he was pissed. Uh, and he didn't. <sighs> And he wouldn't. He was like, "I'm just, I'm just watching the ball on on defense, so I don't really notice those guys that much." And I was like, "What? Are you serious? Like they, they were your two leading tacklers, so I hope you notice them." But what I was gonna say is, uh, he was he was pretty frustrated after the game. It was the first time this year that I've that I've seen him really be frustrated. He hates he hates all the penalties, and he was uh, he was not happy. His answers were pretty short, and he shouldn't be. He shouldn't be happy. They. They play like a team that is like has the most talent of anybody in the conference or the country, and they're they're just you know, and he said this: they're not good enough to be having all the all the penalties and all the mistakes and the block punt. I mean, it's just it's just one thing after another. Well, and those are things that aren't really you know talent issues, right? Yeah, special right. teams. Penalties; those are direct reflections of the coach. I think that's why he is so frustrated. And those are just—it's just—we've talked about this all year long, Kyle. Like those are the two things that are hallmarks of the Mike Gundy era: special teams and discipline. And they've just gone completely the other way this year. And it's—it's maddening. It's time to hire a special teams coach. You know, they're not even poorly coached on special teams. They're not coached at all. So, <laughs> so it might be time to get one. You know. I don't want to hear about an analyst and a GA coaching them. You know, you need a special teams coach. 
Just look at look at how good they were under DeForest. And I'm not advocating you go hire DeForest back. I'm just saying, last time they had a specialized special teams coach, they were among the best in the country, if not the best. Yeah. No, I mean it, it's it's something that's plugged them all year. And I was looking back at some of our Bedlam stuff from last year, and and Kyle Boone wrote about this going into Bedlam last year. Special teams has played such a big part in so many Bedlams in the past decade. You look at um, the Tyreek punt return. You look at the Justin Gilbert kick return. Who was it that had the punt return in uh, the 20, uh, 2012 Bedlam for OU? Do you remember that uh, one? And Jalen Saunders. Yeah, he had the punt. So it's and twenty third and twenty thirteen. It's going to be interesting. That's right. It to see. I don't. I don't think the question is if. I think it's how will that affect OSU on Saturday when they when they go to Norman. I, I just think that's going to play. I think it's going to play a, a factor in that game, and it might not be that might not be a good thing for Oklahoma State fans. Well, and I, I felt bad for Amendola kicking into a, a hurricane, you know, a gale force winds in Waco, but you do have to wonder how affected he is by his recent you know swoon the last couple of games. That yeah. that could play a big factor as well, but. But no, you're right. I mean, you go through the all the biggest plays in Bedlam history since 2011, 2012, or even beyond that to Parrish Cox, 2008. It's uh, plays a huge factor. So, but yeah. OSU has had their moments on special teams this year with the the block punts against Boise, but they've also, for the most part, been a, a total disaster. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's it's little things in special teams, right? Like you can do. On offense, if you mess up a play, okay, whatever. You take a 10-yard sack. On special teams, you mess up a play, that's six going the other way. And you just you have to be perfect. And they haven't been anywhere close uh, so far this year. Uh, before we get to our guest, Carson, how was Lubbock? Weird. Yeah. <laughs> very, very weird. Uh, it, was, it was fun. I mean, if anyone hasn't been to a night game in Lubbock – it's the, the closest thing I could probably compare it to would be like a, a Raider game at, at the black hole. Just <laughs> the fans there, they, they cuss, they throw things. It's, it's very, um, it's one of the more hostile crowds you could ever see. So that's, I'll, I'll leave it at that. So it was, it was interesting and got, I mean, the place was just swaying or and rocking when they were up 14, nothing. It was, it was insane. Yeah. Did but you then learn? OU, but then OU does what they do and they, they won the game. Do we learn anything about OU from that game? Uh, yeah, I I don't think they're a playoff contender just with their defense. Um, I thought they got a huge reprieve by Alan Bowman, Tech's quarterback, getting hurt. Their backup is kind of like Baylor's backup. He, and even he threw two touchdown passes. So <laughs> I don't think OU's defense is back, just like I don't think Texas is back. Yeah. So <laughs> I, I, think, I, think, I think OU is far and away the front runner to win the Big 12, but I – I don't see them hanging in the playoff with with other teams. I got to take Texas was the worst number six team in the history of the AP poll dating back to the 1930s. I mean, that happens every year. Like Kentucky was in the top 10 this year, weren't they? Like that happens. I think that's a hot take. That's a hot take. That's fine. What if, what if that, what if Texas loses out? (laughs) Well, they were overrated, which happens every, (laughs) which happens every year. You got to put somebody up there. Okay, let's get to our guest. It's time for the Coupe Works guest of the week. Coupe Works, bring great tasting craft beer in Oklahoma City. Try the flagship F5 IPA, the bold DNR Belgian Strong Ale, or the refreshing Horny Toad Blonde. For your next watch party tailgate or get together with friends, enjoy cold Coupe Works, and please remember to drink responsibly. Carson, we are going to call 
Eddie Radosevich of uh, Sooner Scoop and Twitter fame. Twitter, what would you say about his Twitter presence? Lore. Twitter yeah, lore. Lore. I like that. Um, we're going to call him, check in on uh, check in on OU, see how his season is going. And, uh, yeah, we're excited to have him on. We had him on, was it last year or two years ago? I think we had him on last year. Yeah, he's, he's always fun. Um, so, yeah, let's call him right now. Eddie. What's going on? How are we doing? Doing good. I'm doing I'm holding a uh, a peaceful protest today in honor of Sam Ewinger. I went and got a I got his tweet put on poster board, I got it blown up. It's gonna be it's gonna be beautiful. <laughs> what are you doing with this poster board? Where are you where are you picketing? We're South Oval. Just Within uh, within unison of uh, Sam Sam and uh, his uh, horns down comment. So are you are you in uh, your Golf Channel visor? No, I'm not. But I have a Golf Channel. Uh, I have that pullover on. Uh, if you mm. send me anything from the Golf Channel, I'll wear it because it was free. <laughs> Kyle, it was kind of a boss move. I had Eddie on our our pregame show. Sounds like you're still in Lubbock, by the way. It's very windy. Uh, yeah, I need wait. to. I'm, I'm on the third deck of the stadium right now. I'm going to tell you guys, I'm overlooking uh, the 40 yard line where Bob decided to re kick to Tyree Kill for your anniversary. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I had Eddie on our pregame show and he was wearing his golf channel hat on, a, on an ABC program. It was pretty. It was pretty gutsy move by him. Yeah. I, I uh... literally didn't even realize it until uh, I we got done and like my phone was blowing up and I was like, oh. I didn't even think about that, <laughs> but you're you're lucky because my hair was just going all sorts of out of control. So it's probably better. It was very distracting. It was very it was a good distraction having that those beautiful locks blowing in the breeze. <laughs> um, okay, Carson, you want to you want to uh, intro it and we'll uh, we'll jump in. I, I thought we were already going. Oh, are we going? Are we, is this on? I think this is on. Okay, I gotta edit out some of Eddie's language. That's great. No, yeah. we're, we're here. Carrie Murdoch usually does that on his podcast, so that's, that's yeah, your, just, your task I'm, now. I'm comfortable. I'll clean it up now. I'll I'll, I'll clean it up real well. Uh, Eddie Carson, uh, Carson, and I were just talking about Lubbock and, and and kind of the environment there and and everything that went down. What what was your was, was there anything about the OU Texas Tech game that you learned about OU that maybe you didn't know before? You know, I, I think it just reconfirmed everything that we've kind of thought about this defense. It's not going to be fixed overnight. Uh, you know, I, all, I I say that. I do think that they played better. I mean, they're tackling. That's something that has been a common theme, I guess, since Ruffin McNeil took over just as far as, uh, you know, everybody watched that OU-Texas game and saw the, uh, the inability to tackle, uh, the inability to execute the fundamentals of a sound defense. And, uh, you know, they, they do have a starting point in that as far as uh, they're getting more guys out there. You know, I thought that Ronnie Perkins flashed a little bit. The true freshman defensive tackle, Jalen Redmond, starting to come on a little bit. Uh, they they have gotten Dellen Turner-Yell back into the mix a little bit as a freshman safety. But uh, at the same time, I mean, I, I think it's probably a little bit unrealistic to think that this is a defense that is going to go out and shut anybody out. Uh, you know, they, they, they were able to get off the field uh, multiple times down in Lubbock, and they – in, in a way, I guess the OU offense put them in bad spots there early, uh, especially with the two turnovers that resulted in, uh, you know, a 14 to nothing early deficit. But at the same time, uh, you know, I, I would be lying if I said that 
uh, I had faith in this defense getting off the field if they really needed to get a stop. Uh, you know, with that said, uh, you know, it, it's kind of a, a broken record, uh, you know, especially with the way that Oklahoma's playing offensively. Uh, you, just, you have to get off the field three or four times, and I think that gives you a chance to, uh, to, to compete against, you know, obviously some of the better offenses in the league. So, uh, you know, overall, it, it is what it is. I don't think that there was anything just necessarily surprising. Uh, you know, anybody that bought into the, I guess, quote-unquote hype uh, after two weeks of TCU and Kansas State probably thinks that he's going to win 130 every weekend. So uh, <laughs> it will uh, it will be interesting here moving forward. Uh, you know, I, I, I think that Oklahoma expects to obviously uh, get through Bedlam and then uh, the open date against Kansas. But, uh, you know, that, that Friday, the Black Friday in Morgantown is certainly going to be a game that, you know, I think a lot of people, uh, including myself, are going to be really intrigued. How can – how can Oklahoma go up to uh, to Morgantown? And you know, if you want to believe in you know streaks coming to an end or whatever, Oklahoma will be going for their 20th consecutive road victory. And uh, you know, I guess the, the gambler degenerate in me always looks at something like that and thinks that uh, there's always a point where something like that breaks. And uh, you know, it'll be about a team trying to trying to get stops against Will Greer and can they force turnovers? That's that's the one thing that I think has been the uh, the common theme throughout this season is OU defensively just cannot force turnovers. And whether it be uh, <laughs> Parnell Motley getting called for a phantom interference call in the end zone or uh, Kuhl Hofton uh, dropping a ball uh, out in the middle of nowhere. So <laughs> it will be, uh, it'll be interesting. It's been a work in progress. Uh, but, you know, at the same time, since the uh, removal of Mike Stoops from the press box, they have been better uh, in some areas. I just, even if uh, people don't want to admit it, I know that, uh, Oklahoma fans love to uh, complain about something, and now that Mike's gone, it's uh, it's hard to uh, it's hard to find things to complain about. You mentioned the 2014 Bedlam game. It's it's so weird to me, Eddie, that some of the worst teams OSU's had have been the ones that actually have beaten OU. I think about 2014. You think back to that first year with Les Miles. That team was like four and seven. I mean, it's it's kind of ironic that most of their wins have come in Norman, and they've come as a huge underdog. So I guess. From an OU perspective, is that kind of what you're guarding against if you're an OU fan is the fact that some of the worst OSU teams have given them better games? Sure. You know, I, I think that obviously uh, you look at the history of the game. I mean, it, I think Oklahoma has now won, what, 15 of 17 going into Saturday. So, uh, you know, I, I, I definitely think that – is that right? Somebody said that today at the press conference. I couldn't believe it. I'm just referring to it as uh, – as I'm trying to look through the OU game notes. Either, regardless, OU's won this game a lot. And they have obviously uh, had their fair share of trouble uh, when, when it's been unexpected. And, you know, I think that in a way the OU-Texas game catches the players' attention, certainly the players from Texas' attention, maybe a little bit more just because of the stage that it's usually on. And, uh, you know, I guess in over maybe not necessarily the last decade, but – uh, in, in the early 2000s specifically and, you know, throughout, I guess, the 2000s that usually meant a, a chance for a, to play for a Big 12 chi- a championship or, a, you know, a possible national championship. Uh, it, in a way, it's kind of weird, though. I say that and, you know, you look back at the, uh, the, the recent years in uh, Bedlam, it's, it's usually come down for uh, the Big 12 title game. So, uh, you know, I, I do think that maybe, I guess it's, I don't want to say they've overlooked it by any means. They just played bad and, uh, you know, the Tyreek Hill year, uh, obviously, uh, you know, I, that probably wasn't one of uh, OU's better teams, uh, but they certainly weren't just terrible. Uh, you know, I, I, it's been it's been interesting. I I would like to put my finger on, it, and that, I think that's probably something we'll talk to players about this afternoon. Is the fact that 
they have had trouble before with an with an Oklahoma State team that uh, usually is, uh, you know, I guess not playing as well as they possibly could. So, uh, you know, there's obviously there's no reason uh, for Oklahoma to look overlook uh, Oklahoma State this weekend as uh, they still have a lot out there and probably still a lot to prove, uh, especially with, uh, you know, I think their argument and going to the college football playoff here over the next, you know, three weeks, you really got to go out and make a statement uh, as far as uh, reasons why you should be included in that top four. And, uh, you know, with that said, they're probably still going to need some help uh, when it's all said and done, whether it be Michigan losing or Notre Dame losing. But, uh, you know, the, the, the one thing that you can't control is how you play. And I, I think that that's probably uh, what we'll hear when we ask uh, some of the players here after practice uh, this evening and then on into uh, Tuesday. I think it's uh, 13 of 15, I think is the number. 13 so of 15, okay. That's, that, oh, <clears throat> that's what I get for quoting a, a local uh, news reporter <laughs> that usually doesn't know what's going on. Was that a shot at Carson? <laughs> no, no, it was not. We can, we can confirm it was nobody at KOC. <laughs> uh, Eddie, your thoughts on Oklahoma State Offensive Coordinator Mike Yelich? I almost asked Kyler today if uh, if he is brothers with uh, the uh, NL MVP Christian, but uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, and I think that there's a lot of people that will take that as you know, obviously a, sl- a shot at Oklahoma State and a shot at uh, Mike Yurcich, and then his uh, parting comments of uh, "I just don't like Stillwater very much." When in reality, I I don't know. That's just kind of the way Kyler operates. Uh, you know, I something tells me that. Uh, I don't know if this is a shot at Stillwater by any means. It's not intended to be, but uh, even Norman, I don't know if it's, is uh, the Kyler Murray speed, if you will. Uh, he's, uh, I guess, I guess flashy would be the way to say it. Maybe a little bit more on the uh, cocky, arrogant side of Baker Mayfield, and that's kind of hard to believe considering uh, the way that Baker carried himself, and especially uh, during Bedlam Week. So, uh, yeah, I thought that was pretty funny. Uh, I guess... Kyler Murray has his own uh, troubles to worry about going into this week, just as far as trying to make a push for the Heisman Trophy, which, uh, I I mean, he's not going to win it. I, Tua is going to have to lose it, I would think. So uh, I thought that was pretty funny, though. Oh, it was your, great. Feed was, the content machine. Yeah. It's a good way to start yeah. Bedlam, I think. But I think the ironic yeah. part is he cho- the ironic part to me is he chose College Station. It's not like, not like that's going to you know New York City or L.A. <laughs> No, no, that that is true, and I, you know, I, Tyler's a, a different cat. He just he kind of goes to his own, I guess, beat drum or whatever, uh, whatever the uh, cliche uh, saying is there. So uh, it will be. Uh, I don't know. He's 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 just he's just a different guy. Uh, obviously, him and Baker's personalities couldn't be further from the. For, they couldn't be further apart, but in the same manner they couldn't be more similar, if that makes sense. It's, it's kind of a unique uh, – it it, it's been really unique covering both of them in back-to-back years and then obviously uh, going right into baseball with Kyler last year just as far as they're the same guy at the end of the day, but they carry themselves in such different manners, if that makes sense. Being a guy who uh, is very active on the Twitter.com, what did you think about Mike Gundy's comments on, on- – Twitter in general. <laughs> I, you know, I, I kind of wrestled back and forth with it. I mean, I, I definitely understand uh, where the fan base is coming from as far as, uh, you know, the, I guess the anger towards Mike, Mike Gundy this year. I also think in a way that it's his way of taking the pressure off of his team. 
And I don't know if that makes much sense or if it's even the right way to go about it, but I kind of understand what he's trying to do just as far as I think that a lot of the stuff that he says in the media, whether it be at press conferences or post-game uh, or midweek press conferences uh, during game week, just as far as I think that he's trying to divert the attention away from the players and back onto himself. And then sometimes I just think that I don't know if it's arrogance is the right word, but I, whatever it is gets in the way of it. And then he digs himself a deeper hole and then he doubles down and he's in such a massive hole that, you know, it, it almost seems like he can't go back on what he said. Uh, so <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I, I mean, is that, is that a crazy analogy? I know I took a long winding way to get there, but it just seems like he's, he means well, but maybe he just doesn't, go about it the right way but that be the best way to put it or maybe i'm just making excuses for the guy because he yeah, kind of runs a program exactly like i would <laughs> do you do you make fun of poor do you make fun of pores if you run programs constantly constantly <laughs> we, 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 we would take we, we would take upper decks out we just have massive club seating the entire length of the stadium <laughs> nobody out nobody outside just windows <laughs> I like that. Uh, yeah, it's it's. Uh, I think the the thing about it is that it it plays really well when you get a ten and two, and then you sure. get six and then you get six and six, and it's like, yeah, maybe this isn't a. It's it's kind of like Phil Mickelson Phil Mickelson's shtick, right? It's like, yeah, this is pretty funny when you're contending for majors, and then all of a sudden you're shooting seventy sixes, and you're like, ah, it's not it's it's not as funny. Yeah, no, I, I definitely think that there's something to that. And, uh, you know, they, Phil Mickelson and Mike Gundy might be cut from the same cloth. Uh, <laughs> now that you say that, they they have some traits that line up uh, ideally with each other. So that that's, that's an interesting uh, comparison that I've honestly never thought of, but I think that you might have hit it right on the head. It is also interesting, too, that I, I don't know, guys. I, I don't know if I've talked to you guys since the season started, but – that whole thing up in Stillwater's just been—it's been weird all year to me. Just as far as uh, you know, the corn dog experiment that you know I guess has gone with whatever. I don't know. I just—it even goes back to to spring football and their inability, or I guess maybe not even inability, just the want, the lack thereof of Spencer Sanders wanting to get to campus early. And I mean, if he would have got to campus, I don't think there's any way that he wouldn't have started this year. I don't know. I mean, it seems sure seems to me like he came into this mindset. Well, maybe if he gets there early, he doesn't have this mindset. But it sure seemed like to me they were just planning on redshirting Spencer Sanders no matter what. But you're right. Maybe if he came in yeah. the spring, that's a different story. I feel like Gundy it's has gonna... just been Gundy's been just dying to play corn dog. And again, like maybe that's because he's your best guy, and hopefully it is. I, I, I would hope you're you're not playing your third best guy right now. But I just Ryan. feel like he just he just wants to play him so bad, and that's why in December when he was asked about Spencer Sanders getting to to school early, he's like, yeah, you know, that's whatever. Like, just want him to enjoy high school, and it's like, this is. Like we're talking about your season here, you know. This is a big part of it, and I don't know. I, I'm I'm with you. The whole thing has been, it's been, uh, it's been weird. It's been odd. Yeah, and th I mean, I understand the thing about rewarding a fifth year guy. He stuck with it. It's a great story. I mean, 
the Texas, uh, the night after Texas, I tweeted. I, I, I honestly, I felt genuinely happy for Taylor Cornelius and the way that he played and yeah. to do it on homecoming. It's a great story. But that's not fair to the other fifth-year seniors that have worked their tail off. And, you know, the rest of the team that uh, works their tail off during the summer with Rob Glass to, you know, basically be putting all of their eggs in one basket with a guy, if you have a guy that can do better. So I'm, I'm particularly interested in how Lincoln Riley handles it because, uh, you know, obviously Spencer Rattler's coming in over uh, – uh, he's not going to be an early enrollee. He'll come in during the, uh, during the uh, summer. And, you know, I, there's an argument, I guess, that could be made that if he was around, he might start in front of Austin Kendall or – uh, Tanner Mordecai is a, uh, redshirting right now as a freshman, but uh, it'll be interesting. I, I think it's very interesting, especially uh, when you throw in, you know, all the fresh, true freshmen that have had success. Uh, you know, I guess specifically the Brock Purdy kid up in Ames. I mean, that, that's been a great story. Alan Bowman's been a great story. Uh, I just, I think that kids nowadays, specifically at quarterback, and it's probably because of the machine that has become seven on seven, uh, those kids are just, they're ready. They're so much more advanced now uh, than they were, you know, 10, 15 years ago, maybe even five years ago, uh, as far as being able to come in and step into an offense and kind of know what's going on. Uh, and I guess you can't really replace experience, but at the same time, uh, you got to grow for the future if you're going to, not necessarily be stagnant this year, but, uh, you know, I guess run into the troubles that they've had. Especially with the new redshirt rule. I mean, you can play in four oh, games. absolutely. Maybe this was Gundy's Absolutely. master plan all along. He was going to play Spencer Sanders in Bedlam and throw a wrinkle at uh, Oklahoma. Maybe that was his master you know, plan. It, it, it's funny. Like it, it, that's funny thinking about. But the way that Mike Gundy operates, I wouldn't be. I wouldn't just be shocked if that happened. I don't think that will happen. But I wouldn't be shocked if it happened. I, I would think. It, I'd almost think it'd be hilarious if that happened. Because then everything that you know, you guys have said, everything that everybody in the state has said. It would be like it would come to fruition. Like this guy was screwing with everybody all year, which is just—I mean, he might as well come out and give everybody a middle finger at the press conference. Eddie, I've got a stat here for you. Uh, on Saturday, it will be Mike Gundy's five thousand and fifty-ninth day as head coach of Oklahoma State. It'll be Lincoln Riley's five hundred and twenty-first. Uh, but if Jeez. but if. O- if OU wins, uh, they will have the same number of Bedlam wins. Uh, just what, what's your what's your thought on that? It's <laughs> it, it's not, not good for Mike Gundy and uh, not bad for Lincoln Riley. Also, uh, I I don't know maybe because I'm around it every day, but certainly doesn't feel like it's been only 529 days for Lincoln Riley. I it, it almost feels like he's been around for 10 years nowadays. Uh, the way that he you know, just operates and does everything around here. So it Bedlam has not been kind to Mike Gundy, obviously. Uh, and, you know, I, a lot of it probably has to do more with OU and just being flat out a better team. But then you look back at, you know, 2013, there was, there was no reason why Oklahoma should have won that game up in Stillwater. Uh, you know, you look back at even – you could even make the argument last year. Uh, yeah. You know, as, as good as Oklahoma was, that was – that was the year that Oklahoma State was supposed to do it, and especially with Mason Rudolph at quarterback. So, um, you know, I, it feels like it comes up every year uh, during this, this time of the year, which it, I, I don't know about you guys, but I haven't felt like it's Bedlam week, and I know it's only Monday, but I haven't felt like it's Bedlam week at all at any point this week. It just it feels weird. I think I'm so used to it being on Thanksgiving weekend uh, or at the end of the season 
that it just it doesn't seem right this year. So I'm gonna I'm gonna complain about it while I have a chance. Uh, but it, it, <laughs> it's it, a platform. It's, it's, hey, it's th- hey, Eddie, Eddie, this is a platform to bitch. Okay, good. Well, so, I'm gonna get go on ahead. Twitter and do it later and tag Mike Gundy, but you probably block me by the end of the week. So uh, <laughs> it, it it is weird though. I mean, there's there's no doubt that he you shells up or clams up or whatever you want to call it. Uh, they they aren't as aggressive and. You know, I, I tweeted the video this, this, this morning as far as less, less miles and let her rip. One of the greatest <laughs> in the last it's, 25 years. It's so good. <laughs> the, the facial expression he makes when he walks off from Lin Swan and kind of glares at he him exactly is all time. It's all time. He knows time. exactly what he just did. And the clip I want to find, I can't find it anywhere, is his post-game press conference from that game is – is was his famous, you know, I'll take these guys around and I'll go play any sucker in the country. That was like his. <laughs> that was like he was like yelling at the media that he's gonna go play any sucker in the country. He's like, I liked our fight. I liked our resolve. He's, he just goes nuts in the post game. I can't it's find an that absolute, anywhere. An absolute madman, but an absolute <laughs> yeah. legend in his own right. Carson, God, I love him. You're, Kansas, you're, please hire this guy. Carson, your less cadence is unbelievable. That was really good. <laughs> I'll take these guys around. I'll go play any sucker in the country. I like to fight. I like to resolve. There's no quit. There's no quit in our guys. You know, if, uh, if, if, if things don't work out, you can just open up a little less mile stand-up routine. Hey, I want Kansas to hire him so bad just to get him back in the I league. I do, too. Why would that would so be bad. awesome. Well, I, I advocated them hire him months ago just because, like, Les Miles is not going to embarrass you. Like, he'll he'll get you four, five, six, maybe even seven wins and get you back to, like, respectability. That's all Kansas needs right now. Don't be the worst team in the country. How about isn't start he, there? Isn't he, like, 72 years old, though? He's in his 60s. He is a lot older than I think people realize. Uh, I don't know if he's – I don't know if he's 70, but, I mean, the thing about Kansas is they're not going to out-recruit uh, anybody – in football, unless uh, Bill Self lets them dive into the Adidas fund, uh, <laughs> they need to go and get a triple option. I think I'm officially on board with the idea that Kansas should run the triple option and just out scheme people. Well, I mean, it's it's not going to happen as far as out recruiting people. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, Mangino, Mangino did it just a, you just got to recruit smarter. I mean, Mike Gundy is not reeling yeah. in top 25 classes. Just recruit smarter like Mangino did. He went down to Austin, got Todd Reesing, got guys out of Oklahoma. I mean, you know, Chris Harris. Well, it, was, wasn't Chris Harris from Oklahoma? Uh, yeah. Yeah, Chris Harris. Yeah, he's yeah. from Bixby. Uh, there's, I mean, it's been proven that it can happen. It just, I don't know. I, you got to find a Matt Campbell. you got to find a guy that is committed to the turnaround and maybe even a little bit more. And, I mean, you, you can't find, you know, there's, there's it's, it's perfect example of it is Kansas should be getting the guys that Oklahoma and Oklahoma State don't offer. And, you know, I, I'm not saying that Oklahoma State and Oklahoma have just done exceptionally well at uh, evaluating and getting kids in as far as the recruiting side of it, uh, but they can be better, and you know, or Kansas can be better. And it, it seems like some, some kids in the state of Oklahoma particularly, uh, you know, just don't get recruited by Kansas. And I, I don't know whose fault that is. I don't know if David Beatty wanted to try and go back into – Central Texas, uh, where he's probably a little bit more familiar with recruiting ground, but 
uh, you know, they've, I think they went and got the, uh, the Mayberry, Kyle Mayberry from uh, Booker T. Washington a couple years ago. But other than that, I mean, it just, I don't know. Kansas is in a bad way. They're, uh, I, I think that they're past the point of recovering from what Charlie Weiss left them in. Uh, and now it's just, it's more on, I don't know. I, it, Kansas is just a crappy football school. I, that's probably <laughs> the best way to put it. Uh, Eddie, every week we have a, a segment sponsored by Chris's University Spirit talking about uh, uniforms. I'm curious, um, just from your perspective, about OU's switch to Jordan brand. Has it been a good thing? Are you in favor of it and, and just how it's played out this year? Yeah, you know, I, I, I don't know if I'm just overly a fan of it. Uh, I certainly think that it looks good. Uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm also particularly not a guy that, would would look out there like I, I think somebody noticed the uh, the logo on the helmets was bigger. I couldn't have told you if if you wouldn't have said anything to me, I would never have noticed. Uh, I think that was during the spring. Uh, but you know, at the same time, I you know the Jordan brand, I get it. It's it's great for recruiting. It's uh, you know to be a I, I guess to be a a school that is falls under that Jordan brand. It's something that uh, you can throw out there. Uh, you know, I guess it's kind of a and I don't know if it's elitism or whatever you want to call it, but it's not a bad thing. It's not a, a bad feathering you have to have when you go on the recruiting trail and just add to uh, what you're pitching kids. And, uh, you know, I, as long as they don't, uh, you know, go crazy with the uniforms, I've never been a fan of the, uh, the alternate jersey that Oklahoma has. Uh, as long as they don't mess with the, uh, the home jersey and the, the, the all whites on the road, I'm sign me up. I, I, I really could care less. I, I think that, uh, you know, most fans that understand the recruiting side of it, the recruiting element of it, uh, you know, understand that those are probably changes and not necessarily at a school that at Oklahoma that it has to be made, but it's, it's certainly something that uh, it, it's a good look, I think, to, to, stay, uh, to stay up with everybody else as far as, uh, you know, as they change uniforms and things like that. But, you know, it, it, it is, uh, I guess, a little bit different, uh, but, you know, Oklahoma fans are going to find something to bitch about anyway, so it might as well be the jerseys. <laughs> I, I thought I thought it was a very smart way to make OU cooler while not messing with yeah. the uniforms. I thought it was a perfect blend sure. of that. Uh, before we get you out, Eddie, you know we have our guest of the week is sponsored by Coop. I know your podcast is sponsored by Coop Ale Works as Absolutely. well. Absolutely. Uh, what's your favorite? Love the F five. What's your favorite uh, Coop Ale Works beer? F five for sure. I uh, I'm a big fan of the F five. Uh, I think the DNR is pretty good. Uh, there was, I think, there was a seasonal one that they just had out. Forgot what it what what it was called though. It had some zombies on the front of the can that I thought was pretty good as well. Uh, so yeah, we love, <laughs> spare we rib? love coops over at Center Scoop. Yes, spare rib. That is it. That is that, that absolutely it. Uh, yeah. So yeah, good. we I usually have a couple of those while we're recording our podcast after games, and uh, always always good to be in bed with the uh, the Coops family. I might need a couple of fly me aways after the game. I might need to be flown away from the stadium on Saturday after what whatever takes place there. What's your? I, I, it's Monday, so whatever. But I'll just ask you: Do you think OU uh, covers? And um, just yeah, do you think OU's going to cover? History would tell me no, uh, but I don't know. I just I. I feel like I've had a pretty good read on this Oklahoma State team uh, for some reason, just from afar this year. And that's basically my way of saying that I've, I've cashed a lot of tickets on Oklahoma state. <laughs> and uh, I, I don't know. I, I feel like Oklahoma kind of puts it together this weekend and wins going away. 
Uh, I I don't know about score, but I, if I had if I had to t- take a side right now, I'd probably say Oklahoma covers. I just Oklahoma State hasn't played well on the road, and that kind of bothers me. Uh, yeah. Just as far as I, is their only road win at Kansas this mm-hmm. year? Yeah. Yeah. If they, if they would have played better in, in Waco, I might be singing a different tune. But I don't know. I just I feel like when you look at those types of trends and a team that doesn't play well on the road, it just doesn't. You don't just flip a light switch on and all of a sudden it happens. Uh, that's kind of a I don't know if it's the mentality of a team, but I feel like that kind of follows the team around all year. And you just can't yeah. really change that. And there's a lot for there's a lot for Oklahoma to still play for. I mean, uh, you know whether people want to believe it or not, they I guess they need to make a couple statements here at the end. And uh, you know I, I do think that they're still searching for some answers defensively. And you know I, I do think that if anything uh, with Oklahoma defensively under Ruff McNeil, he's got them to play hard, and uh, they've done that at home. I guess it's only been one game, but they they have they have done that here over the last month. Well, and it feels like the Texas game for Oklahoma State is serving as a little bit of a mirage that it's like, okay, we keep referencing number six Texas, number six Texas. Texas is not that good. And also yeah. Oklahoma State didn't Oklahoma State didn't play very well in the second half. They sort of they sort of just hung on and got a touchdown at the end. Other I mean, if that game is like sixty five minutes long, I don't know if they win it. Um and, and so I just don't I, – I, and I keep pointing back to it, and I know others do as well, but it, I, I just think that at the end of the season is going to be the outlier game for this OSU team. Yeah, sure. And, you know, I, I, we talked about that. We were driving down to Lubbock on Saturday, and we talked about that in the car just as far as, you know, Oklahoma State, all, they kind of haven't played well in their last six quarters. Uh, they played really well in the first half, but you know I, I felt the same way as Utah. I, I didn't think that they were going to hold on there at the end. If there was five minutes left against Texas, uh, you know, who knows what would have happened. But I do agree with you. I, I just don't think Texas is very good. Uh, if you know, if Alan Bowman uh, wasn't injured, I'd probably pick Texas week. And I don't have much trust in Jet Duffy, though. Uh, with that said, I don't have much trust in in, in Sam Ewinger either. So uh, that would be interesting <laughs> to see what happens, but. You know what would be the most psychotic thing for this Oklahoma State team to do is lose by 30 in Norman and then uh, beat West Virginia the week after. Yeah. <laughs> hey, good good luck with your silent protest there in Norman. Thank and, you. Uh, it's, uh, it, it should, I've invited uh, all news stations, and I expect them to uh, not come, but <laughs> what a pleasure it would be if, uh, if uh, Channel 5 dropped by this afternoon. I'll, uh, I'll send a note. <laughs> Okay, Eddie, we'll, we'll see you this weekend in Norman. Sounds good, guys. Talk to you thanks, later. Thanks a lot. Hey, Bye. <laughs> a silent protest. Yeah, I mean, it is pretty – it is needed, though, right? I mean, how dare West Virginia put the horns down? I mean, <laughs> it's just – you know, it's a, it's a troubling time. <laughs> As somebody who would like to have a few things back from the last week, I bet I bet Sam Ellinger would like to have that one back. Yeah. But did you hear what Tom Herman said? Like he he said that uh, Will Greer's two point conversion shouldn't have counted because he was taunting on his way to the end zone. Remember, he's like, I thought that was I thought that was a rule. <laughs> they they couldn't be any worse at losing. Herman is a he's a weird dude, man. I don't yes. know. Like, he might be a good coach, but I, I just, 
I don't get it. Like, if you're Texas, you can hire anybody. Like, it's not like... It's not like you're like Oklahoma State and you have to like, okay, well, these are the things that we'd like and this guy maybe doesn't meet all of the the categories, but we're still, you know, we got to take a chance because we, we don't really have our pick of the litter. You're t- you could hire anybody and you hired him. I don't get it. Yeah. Um, not, going, not going well in Austin. Yeah. Uh, okay. Let's hear one more time, Carson, from our sponsor, Chris's University Spirit, and then we'll come back and wrap things up. Chris's University Spirit on Campus Corner in Stillwater, Oklahoma, is proud to be your one-stop cowboy shop since 1986 and proud sponsor of this podcast, Pistols Firing. They specialize in custom-printed Oklahoma State apparel and merchandise and pride themselves on their excellent customer service. They also offer a full line of custom Greek apparel and can even outfit your Little League team head-to-toe. They're located at the corner of 3rd and Knobloch on Historic Campus Corner. You can follow them on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And be sure to shop online at chrisuniversityspirit.com. Shop Stilly. Shop Chris's University Spirit. Okay, Carson. Um, yeah, just uh, takeaways from, from what Eddie said. And uh, I don't know, anything that you're thinking about this week or excited about? Well, we appreciate Eddie, Eddie coming on for sure. Uh, you and I were talking before the podcast started um, about just kind of how you think Bedlam will play out. I think I, I think you and I are on total ends of the pers- uh, perspective here, or the spectrum, <laughs> or all, all the above. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I don't know. I, I've, I'm going back and forth on this. Even after talking to Eddie, I, going into kind of this just this conversation, I sort of felt like. This Oklahoma State team was good. I mean, they don't they don't have anything to lose on Saturday, and I, I feel like our complaint over the years has been when they play OU, they play like they have something to lose, and they usually do lose. And this year's team, it feels like they can just kind of let go a little bit. But then, after thinking about like what Eddie said, the last six quarters, and then basically uh, ten of their last twelve quarters, if you throw in the entire Kansas State game, they haven't been that good. I mean, and I know that, like, the 14 team wasn't either, but as you pointed out, it wasn't Kyler Murray playing quarterback in, in 14 for, for OU. So I think, I think I can be talked to your side. I don't know who I'm picking. I don't, I don't know what I'm thinking about that, but I think it's telling, Carson, that the line is 17 and a half. It's, it's the second biggest line uh, of the Gundy era in terms of Bedlam. The biggest was 19 back in, in 2014. And then the first year that Gundy was a coach, 2005, the line was also 17 and a half. So essentially you're looking at a game that Vegas sees as equivalent to the 2005 game. And, you know, we, we always point back to 14, but how realistic is that happening again? Uh, probably not very realistic. Letter rip. <laughs> the, your cadence is unreal. It's so no. good. I mean, I'm, I'm getting very strong 2009 vibes, where in Oklahoma State was not only shut out in Norman, but just the season just kind of was petering out. And I'll never forget Mike Gundy running toss sweeps to his running back on third and twenty. Just I, I just feel like they'll get down early and then they'll just try to get out of there. They'll just try to run it out. That's kind of how I feel it's going to happen. And, and look, we can break down Taylor Cornelius. We can break down, you know, Mike Yurcich and his game plan. The simple fact is they're not going to be able to stop the run. 
Trey Sermon and Kennedy Brooks should run for OU's run for 320 yards three straight games. So Oklahoma State, who gave up 244 to Baylor, is probably going to get steamrolled. But but I do think it's interesting, as you mentioned, like they, they don't have anything to lose. Will they play and coach aggressively like they did in the first half against Texas? That's all I really want to see. Just just go try to win it. Like just throw caution to the wind, run some trick plays, do the quarterback throwback pass like you did against Baylor. I love that. Like throw the kitchen sink at them, and if you're not good enough to win, that's that's totally okay. You're not you're an 18 point underdog for a reason. But I just I kind of sense it'll be like 09 where they they get down a little bit. The defense actually held up in 09. That the offense could do nothing, got shut out. But I just I. I'm going to be texting you, telling you I told you so when they run a toss sweep on third and 20. <laughs> that, that's that's I mean, happening. Bedlam, Bedlam for me is, is like, um, it's like the Ryder Cup. Every year I talk myself into either a, a U.S. victory or an Oklahoma State victory. And every year on the, the day after, whenever the competition was, I tell myself the next year I'm not going to do it. And then I do it again the next year. <laughs> so maybe I should take a lesson from the the recent Ryder Cup that the U.S. played in, and uh, and just pick OU to win and, and cover this weekend. I, I don't. I think that's probably where I'm going to land. Um, but I don't know. I, I think my my general point was that like Oklahoma State has played better when they've had nothing to lose in this game than they. I mean, they're one in three as a favorite, uh, so they have as many wins as a favorite as they do as an underdog in the in the Gundy era. And, uh, again, that's only two wins, <laughs> but, um, I don't know. I, I just, it, it's been, it's been a frustrating year. And I think that, you know, with, with, uh, I don't know, I, I don't, I don't like what, what are, what's the point of the rest of the season? I mean, not what's the point, but like, what are they trying to accomplish the rest of the season? What are their goals? Are you sure. trying to get to a, trying to get to a bowl, trying to beat OU trying to, what, what are you trying to do? Well, I think it's go to a bowl, but if if I was the coach, it would be to get Spencer Sanders ready for next year. I know, like, right? Like I'm playing for you're playing for next year at this point. I know, I know. I but mean, then you 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 juxtapose that against like what we always talk about, which is you got to play the guys that give you a best chance to win right now, right? I mean, that's what that's what you always say, and I agree with you. And I don't know that those two are the same thing, or that Gundy thinks that they're the same thing. No, but I mean, if you get down in this game and you're down, what, two, three touchdowns, don't you just throw them out there, see what he can do? They're not going to. I know, but I would. I mean, that, to me, that's a no-pressure situation when you're down two or three scores. I know it's bedlam. I know it's your first game as a college athlete, but talk about being able to play free and loose. You're down three scores. Just go go, have, go attack them. Go have fun, you know? Yeah. I don't know. I just To me, you're building nothing with Cornelius at quarterback. So I would at least, you know, obviously you're starting Cornelius and they feel he gives them the best chance to win. I, I question that. But um, if he if he struggles, try somebody else. You got the four games now to, to play with. You know what I'm ready for? What's that? Two two things. One, Boynton season, even though Oklahoma State's not going to be very good in basketball, I don't think. <laughs> and two, uh, just not having a quarterback controversy. Just this is our guy for the next three, four years. I know it had been so long since we had had one, right? Since like 2013. It was fun for like two weeks, and now it's just like this is not that fun. Well, I mean, to, I mean, to, to talk about. No, I agree. And he'll have 
a good game and the corn truthers come out and with their pitchforks <laughs> and then they're, they're nowhere to be found when he can't literally cannot hit a deep ball to, against Baylor, the worst team in the league. So that's the, that's the part I don't get not being able to, it's, he clearly has a great arm. He clearly has enough experience that timing is not, shouldn't be an issue. I don't understand how, I mean, has he connected on one pass that, that's, was in the air for more than 40 yards, maybe against Kansas once. Well, the best one he threw, I think is one Tylen dropped against Iowa state. That was a legit, but like you can count on one hand for sure. And maybe, maybe we were just spoiled by Mason Rudolph doing it every single time he had a chance. I don't know. Maybe, but he's, they've thrown like 40 of them. You'd think you'd hit on like, you know, 20, (laughs) 20% or something. You don't got to tell me. I mean, I've been saying this longer than anybody. Yeah. And, you know, but whatever. Okay, so I'm, uh, I'm, I'm really fired up for the rest of the season. Can you tell? Yeah, yeah, no, I, I can tell. Uh, I'm going to be, we're both going to be in Norman this weekend uh, for whatever happens there. But uh, we'll, we'll be back later in the week with another pod. Uh, thanks again to Eddie uh, for coming on, giving, it, uh, giving us a ton of his time. And, uh, yeah, should be, a, should be a fun week. Should be, hopefully there's more Mike Yelich talk. Uh, out of the <laughs> out of the OU camp, and uh, yeah, looking forward to the rest of the week. It's Bedlam week. I'll get Bad. more excited as the week progresses. <laughs> we'll talk soon, Carson. All right, man. See ya. See ya.